Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the 2019 college football preseason betting preview. This is part three. We're talking Big Ten. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson, ready to debate some uh, Ohio State-Michigan and try to find a winner in the uh, Wild Wild West. Love it. Lots of corn-fed teams we're going to talk about today. Big offensive lines, big defensive lines, and... Some teams can defend explosiveness and some can't. And that's what makes the difference in the Big Ten. Yeah. And uh, speaking of defending explosiveness, that was one of the primary weaknesses of Ohio State last year. We're actually going to speak with Ari Wasserman of The Athletic, who covers the Ohio State beat, has done so since 2009. Uh, We'll go through both divisions. The West East will go through each team, talk about their win totals, where we make it. We'll close up with potential futures with our favorite win totals that we like in the big 10. And just to give you an idea of what's to come leading up to week zero, or is it week one extended now? I don't know, but football is coming soon is all I do know. Um, Leading up to that week zero or week one preview, we will have, you know, all five power five previews. So we already did the big 12. If you haven't checked that out, check it out. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, review, and rate. This is the big 10 preview. We'll obviously do the other three power five conferences the ACC, the Pac-12, and the SEC. We'll also do a group of five preview, cover some of our favorite win totals and key teams there. Then we'll have a recap episode. I know that everyone loved that last year where we'll go through you know, our favorite win totals in rapid fire uh, in each conference. We'll also sprinkle in some award talk, you know, Heisman, Butkus Award, you know, all of that stuff uh, throughout. And then all of a sudden we'll be here and we'll be previewing actual games which I can't wait for. But today is all about the Big Ten and the discussion. Look, the Big Ten hasn't had a team make the college football playoff the last two seasons. And the Big Ten champion hasn't made it the past three seasons. If you recall, Ohio State made Mm -hmm. it three seasons ago, but they didn't even play in the Big Ten championship game. The primary discussion when you're talking about the Big Ten this year is Michigan or Ohio State uh, in the East. And then the West, I mean, when I say wild, wild West, I mean it. There are, what, you know, to win the Big Ten, it's, Nebraska is around three to one. Wisconsin's right there. Purdue and Iowa around four to one. Northwestern and Minnesota are about five to one. And then obviously <laughs> Illinois is bringing up the rear. But basically, any of those teams, if they won it, you wouldn't be shocked, right? Like completely flabbergasted if any of them won it. Wouldn't be shocked at all. I mean, by the end of this podcast, we may even recommend Illinois going over their total. So the West is crazy this year. It's, you know, it's everything from. Minnesota has the perfect schedule uh, and they have all the talent returning. Uh, Iowa has some questions losing their superstar tight ends. Uh, Purdue's going to take a step back. Every, I mean, the love for Nebraska is just, we, we, we're we not there yet. The depth is just not there yet with them. 
what the hell happened to Wisconsin last year? Can they get a decent, decent quarterback play? And Northwestern, I just uh, these guys—they're right? going to drive us nuts this year again. I still have nightmares of them taking the field in Minnesota with their shirts off and warm-ups. So it's still giving me nightmares. Ah, oh, that game. Hopefully, we can get our revenge this year on Northwestern. But let's start with the Wild Wild West. And as I said before, honestly, any of these six teams besides Illinois wins it, I, we wouldn't be shocked. Uh, we do have some some big differences in what your projections are and teams that I like. There's a couple of teams in the Big Ten that we will talk about. Let's start with, I think, the biggest discrepancy you and I have, and that's with Minnesota. So Minnesota, over under seven and a half wins. I think the over at Westgate, over seven and a half is minus 130. You, Colin projects 6.6. So obviously I'm assuming that you like the under. Before I let you go off, look, I love this team. I think they're going to win. They're my pick to win the West. I have a small bet already on them to win the West. I think Minnesota's going to the Big Ten Championship, (laughs) and you have them projected as 6.6 wins. Their schedule Mm. is, first of all, let's start with their schedule. It's very easy. They avoid Ohio State. They avoid Michigan. They avoid Michigan State. They get Nebraska and Wisconsin, the two favorites in the division. Minnesota gets them both at home. You You have Fleck, who I love. Their defense was an abomination for most of the most of the year last season. I mean, they talk about giving up explosive plays, but then they had the coordinator change and their defense got a lot better. They bring a lot back, 16 starters back in total. Uh, You know, their secondary, I think, has the potential to be excellent, especially if Antoine Winfield Jr. can stay healthy. And I love their skill position players. You know, at receiver with Tyler Johnson and Bateman, one of the best receiving groups uh, in the Big Ten. And then their running backs. They have a great running back group. So if Tanner Morgan, I assume, was going to get get the start at quarterback, if he can work out, you know, I think this team, given their schedule, can get to nine or 10 wins. Uh, But you have them at 6.6. I know it's simply just math, (laughs) but uh, talk to me about Minnesota. So, yeah, it is math. There's no there's no hate against Minnesota. Actually, there's only love for me uh, for Minnesota. This is a team that was an 11 point dog. Ended the regular season last year with a 22-point win at Wisconsin. That just doesn't happen. I mean, this this squad was so young last year. Two freshmen, true freshman quarterbacks last year. Both have over 150 attempts last year. Uh, so they're coming in with plenty of experiences here on both sides of the ball. I mean, they got one of the biggest bumps in returning production in my offseason ratings, along with Illinois, as far as the Big Ten is concerned. They're 10th in returning production. You've already mentioned you know, all the bullets that they dodge on the schedule. Uh, they get Wisconsin and Nebraska at home. So if you're trying to win the West, that's the best thing. Make them come up and play in the state of Minnesota. They're 25th in defending pass explosiveness. That's huge. Uh, you know, they're not allowing big plays through the air. We love that. That's how this podcast works. But the problem is they were 126 in defending rush explosiveness. They were just getting gashed on the ground. They could not control a trench at all. And the problem is, is everybody off that defense that couldn't uh, stand up and take care of the run or at least stop, you know, 20 yard gains happening on the ground. That entire defense is back. They were 105th in sack rate. They were 103rd in third down distance. That means they're just getting pushed around, you know, by anybody that has a pulse with the run game. And so my question is, it's not really so much. I mean, they have the schedule, they return everybody, but I'm not sure they're talented enough to beat the other teams. I'm not sure they're talented enough to win the West. Do I like looking at 50 to one to win the big 10? Sure. Do do I think 10 to one for the West could be a whole bunch of fun? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm not sure they're talented enough on defense to actually win the division. Well, one thing I think that we can agree on is that November 23rd, I believe we'll both probably be on Minnesota 
at Northwestern. So get ready for the uh, Northwestern coming out without uh, any sleeves and no and shirts the, and all of that. The projected point spread for that game is three, and I expect it to float to the other three and then back to the other three and then back to even so that we can waste all of our damn money like we did last year. Yeah, Northwestern, by the way, the week before that has UMass at home. What the hell are they doing playing that game? All right, so... <laughs> And then they and then Northwestern closes after that Minnesota game at Illinois. So let's talk Illinois. You know, they're projected to finish last in the wild, wild west. They're over under four and a half wins. Colin, you, you know, gave a little teaser, maybe an overbet here. You project 4.7 wins. They should have a really good mm-hmm. rushing attack. They have 17 starters returning. You know, I think that they have four wins on their schedule, like, you know, four, like I'm confident they're going to win these four games. And then it's, you know, can they pull a mild or a bigger upset to get to five? So you're higher on Illinois to the market? Yeah, I do like Illinois. And I I just, you got to look at their schedule. Their schedule is, you know, really worst team in the MAC. UConn, worst team in all of college football. Rutgers, worst team in the conference. Uh, Eastern Michigan is going to be, you know, cl- hovering around the 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 hundredth and and S and P plus this year. Uh, you're right; they had a they had one of the top ten rushing attacks in S and P plus last year, led by running back Reggie Corbin. He returns. They have four offensive linemen that started the entire year. They return, and Brandon Peters, the old quarterback from Michigan, he transfers in to compete for the job. So there's a lot of positives going on here. Lovey Smith is on the hot seat. I like this team. I think they can get to four, and they can at least push. So I would look for the cheapest, you know, juice that you can find on four and take the over because I've already got money on it. This thing opened up at three back in May. Uh, so I was, you know, getting money down in Jersey offshore in Vegas where I could. I'm still hitting it at three and a half. If you can find a three and a half out there, it's worth the juice. Uh, four, I would look for the lowest juice possible. But this is absolutely an overplay for me. The fighting Illini getting love on the Big Ten football podcast preview. Uh, that has to be a first. Let's talk a team. You know, we, we've mentioned a couple easy schedules. Not everyone can have an easy schedule. One of the teams that does not is Iowa. Their projected mm-hmm. win total is seven and a half. At Westgate, I think it's over seven and a half minus 130 right now. Look, their road schedule, I think they have five preseason top 25 teams on the road, is insane. They're replacing two pro tight ends. Uh, but they do have Stanley coming back at quarterback. Their offensive line should be solid. They're, they should be good in the trenches. Their defense should be, you know, okay. But with that schedule, I know you project 7.9 wins. Are you staying away or buying either side of Iowa? Yeah, the number is right on where I have it, but I don't want any piece of Iowa. I'm not taking them in any futures. Nate Stanley was very comfortable with his two tight ends, TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant, and his wide receiver, Nick Easley. Uh, They had, you know, 81, 65, and 64 targets. Those were the top three targets that Nate Stanley had. They're gone. So there's going to have to be a period where he he gets, you know, comfortable and familiar with the other uh, targets on the team. The Hawkeyes on defense, they they lose their top two safeties who combined for 13 pass breakups. That was way more than anybody else. So they're going to have some problems in the secondary, at least in the beginning, until they identify the guys. They're going to be able to cause some havoc there. And just the defense overall, they, they lose their top contributor in each unit. Uh, you know, and they were second in stopping de- in, in defensive ISO PPP. But when you lose like your biggest contributors, uh, you know, in the defensive line, the linebacker and the secondary, you know, those numbers are going to change. So I'm not exactly cold on Iowa. I'm not exactly warm on Iowa. It sounds like another season where they go seven and five and they contend and finish just one game out of winning the West. OK, and let's go on to another team that has an easy schedule and probably the most controversial team that will cover in the West, opinions are all over, and there's a lot of it is positive. 
There's a lot of love out there for Nebraska in the second year of the Scott Frost era. Look, they had all new schemes on both sides of the ball last year and a new head coach. So this is the second year of those new schemes of the new head coach. So you would think that there should be a benefit and a bump from that. And their win total is, by the way, is eight and a half. And it's, it's been on the move. I think the at Westgate over eight and a half is minus 130. Colin projects 7.2. You know, you have Adrian Martinez back. But then, so I look that there's, you know, there's too much love in the market. I want to look to bet Nebraska under. I'll probably wait and, you know, just have that love build, maybe get a nine. But then I look at the schedule and I say, I I don't know if I can bet under here, even what the math says. I mean, look, they should start out three and oh, South Alabama, Northern Illinois at home and at Colorado. Uh, And I think Colorado is going to be dreadful. You know, then they go at Illinois, which is potentially a very tricky spot, by the way. I have that game circled because it's the week before Ohio State at home. We think Illinois is going to be a little improved. Uh, but they avoid Michigan. They avoid Michigan State. You know, they, their road games are at Purdue, at Maryland, at Minnesota. And then they're playing Indiana, Iowa, and Wisconsin at home. So I don't know if I'm in a rush to bet this under, even though there's all that love out there. And look, I don't want to bet the over. But the schedule is pretty favorable. And, uh, you know, the Scott Frost and the new schemes – they, they, they should improve because of that. What are your thoughts on Nebraska? I think everybody should set an alarm on their phone for around August 22nd. And that's, you know, August 22nd, August 23rd is right before week zero. So all the win total should still be available. Uh, wake up that morning and, and do your due diligence and search all the legal books for a nine uh, and take an under there because I, I'm obviously taking the under. I've already taken the under. I took under eight at, at, at plus juice. I've taken under eight and a half with, with extra juice. Uh, you know, there's just things about this team. I, I, I gave them a bump up in, in second order win totals. They lost a lot of close games last year that they should have won. And then I downgraded them for returning production. Their back seven is extremely thin. There's no Nebraska fan that can, that, you know, that they can't deny that the linebackers are thin. The secondary is thin, and that's going to hurt them in some games, especially when guys start getting bumps and bruises and, you know, they're needing those bye weeks. And, and you know, they they play five straight conference games at the end of the year. They get a bye week after Minnesota on October 12th. But the offensive line lost 74 career starts. So, you know, Adrian Martinez might be, you know, scrambling again. They take any injuries on the offensive line. He's going to be scrambling. Then his health comes into play. There's things with this defense. They're still learning Eric Shenander's scheme. He's he's a boomer bust coach with his three, four. I mean, he, he's going to, he's going to blitz and stunt the, the quarterback and time he's going to give up big plays. And that showed last year, the defense was 95th and third and long. They were 109th and third and short. They just couldn't get it done on third down. You know, I mean, I love Nebraska and I, I love their rush game and, and they're going to be able to handle teams that can't, can't defend the rush, you know, specifically, you know, Ohio state can't do it, but I mean, they're, they're going to be thin and towards the end of the season, Somebody may step up and actually beat them that's not supposed to. And I think that team, if you look at the schedule, is Maryland. Because that Maryland game, that travel to Maryland, that comes right in between a sandwich of Wisconsin and Iowa, two bruising games inside the division. They're not going to care about that Maryland game, and I think that's really the swing game on the schedule. Yeah, and and if it gets to nine, the win total, in order to probably get the 10 wins, you could just take them as a dog against Ohio State at home. I'm, you're, you're talking about setting alarms. Set an alarm for September 15th. When those <laughs> lines come out for that game at Illinois, that, that line's going to come out and it's going to drop. Uh, that is a tricky, tricky spot that I have circled in one of my favorite uh, of the Big Ten schedules. All right, so let's talk a little Purdue over under seven wins. You have them right at 7.1. I agree that this win total is you know spot on. Rondell Moore comes back at receiver a star. I mean, led the nation in catches as a true freshman last year. First unanimous true freshman, all American in Big Ten history. 
you know, they they have a sixth year. Sindelar is coming back for a sixth year senior to be the quarterback. You know, and they have a reliable tight end in Hopkins. But there's a lot of other questions. Number one, the offensive line, especially in the interior. And related to that, can they find any rushing attack? I mean, this team, this might be the worst rushing offense in the country, potentially. And then the defense, there's questions about the defense. Their wide receivers or tight ends. They should have an, an, an electric passing attack, uh, especially with Moore and if Sindelar can stay healthy. Uh, but with the offensive line questions and the rushing attack, I find it tough to bet an over on Purdue, but I also don't want to go under. It's just one of those that I think the 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 win total is spot on. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I have it at seven. It's at seven now. Uh, there were some shops a couple months ago that opened it up at nine. That felt like a free payday. Of course, I have to wait for a few months before I see that. You're right. The rushing attack is going to be bad. They they lost Knox uh, running the ball, but their offensive line is just decimated. I mean, they only have two guys that started games last year that are coming back. Uh, you know, so any injuries there is going to be tough for them. Braum is going to have to earn his money this year. This is going to be a really tough spot for him. The offense was 125th in returning production. The defense was 35th. And, you know, Braum was already at media days just a couple of days ago saying, you know, my two offensive linemen, that's all I've got. And if they get hurt and if they, you know, they can't, you know, get it done, then we're in, we're in deep trouble. Now, you don't want a coach showing up to media days and saying they're already in trouble, especially on the offensive line. Uh, you know, look at this schedule. I mean, this non-conference schedule is, is, is in my opinion, it's, it's brutal. I mean, they have to go to Nevada to start play. Reno's elevation is 4,500 feet. That's not going to be an easy game for the Boilermakers to get off and just, you know, play. I mean, that, that's going to be a tough environment for them because of the elevation. After that, they got Vanderbilt. After that, they got TCU, uh, you know, con- and then they have conference play. So, you know, the defense last year, even though they were 35th in returning production, they were 110th in sack rate. They can't get to the quarterback. They can't force any pressure. So, I mean, Brom's going to have to earn his money this year or, you know, if it, they have some a couple injuries down the line. There's going to be a lot of games that look like the Music City Bowl last year where Auburn just curb stomped them. Yep, we tend to agree there. So now let's get to before we get to our favorite team in the West Northwestern. Let's talk a little Wisconsin over under eight wins. You project eight point four. Here's the thing. They have Jonathan Taylor back. They might have found uh, their answer at QB. But the, their offensive line is going to be completely rebuilt. Now, this was supposed to be one of the best offensive lines ever, and it was good last year, but not as good as uh, some, including myself, hyped it up to be. The defense has some potential, but it is young. The thing with Wisconsin, though, is they have a brutal crossover. They play Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State. You know, it, you can see how it could be tough to, to go over eight there. I think this number is pretty spot on. Thoughts on the Badgers? You know, we had all this hype and all this love for them last year. We were thinking this was the team that, you know, that was going to be able to get to the college football playoff. At least they had an outside shot to make the college football playoff. And it just didn't work out because they had injuries on defense. They had inefficient play at quarterback. And when that happens, you can't have a a program talent like Jonathan Taylor. He just can't, you know, I mean, even though they were third in rushing S&P plus, you know, he, his job is limited when you can't get good quarterback play. So you fast forward to the pinstripe bowl and Jack Cohen's out there and, and, and Wisconsin blows out Miami. Uh, it wasn't really a big, you know, box score filler by Jack Cohen in that game, but he is expected to compete and probably win the job for Wisconsin. You know, Paul Chris was at media days the other day and he said, Cone hasn't changed. Uh, his team, he was just misunderstood, but his teammates now understand him and everything's better. And they all have, they've all bought into him and they all believe in him. So I'm kind of waiting on positive news to come out of their camp when camp breaks and, and they start to have the quarterback battle start up. I'm kind of waiting for positive news to come out of there to see how the team responds to Jack Cohen, a quarterback. This Wisconsin team has a high ceiling 
and the floor is just it's not that far off from seven wins. I mean, they're they're just not gonna bottom out. So uh this is a team that could surprise, but at the same time, you gotta have efficient play at quarterback or you're not gonna do anything. So, you know, Wisconsin was 104th in pass explosiveness last year, and they were 98th in pass efficiency. That's not gonna get it done. And Jonathan Taylor is not gonna go anywhere until they get better quarterback play. Yeah, speaking of quarterback play, I mean, you talk of the ceiling. If Graham Mertz, who's one of the most anyway, he's the most hyped, I think I saw an article recently, he's the most hyped quarterback since Russell Wilson at Wisconsin. If he ends up playing and living up to his expectations, it's a lot to ask for the other kid, pro style quarterback, but maybe that gets their passing game going. Yeah, it could be. I I don't know what Chris is going to do. I, I think I think I feel like Chris's job right now is to is to pump up his quarterbacks as much as possible. And I don't know if he's just going to come out and start Mertz. You know, from day one, he may he may wait until the schedule gets you know past Michigan and, and that Northwestern Kent State uh, swing may be a good spot to put in a freshman. So we'll see. Yeah, one of the more interesting quarterback battles in the Big Ten in the preseason and something to keep an eye on. All right, so let's close out the West with our favorite team, Pat's Cats, Northwestern. Uh, total over under six wins over six minus 130 Colin you project 5.5 I mean it's funny that this team projected for six wins a team that is 15 and one in their past 16 regular season big 10 games it just seems like Pat Fitzgerald teams are always going to overperform they're going to have a solid D but you would expect just some regression or but maybe not maybe they're just going to keep you know getting lucky in these low scoring games and have all the bounces go their way you know Maybe they're going to lose at Stanford and then home to UNLV and then run the table in the Big Ten again. And then maybe they lose it to UMass at home later in the year. If we're going to follow what happened last year when they were just so awful out of conference. But Northwestern projected for six wins. You make it five and a half and plus money at six. You know, I, you know, they go to Wisconsin. They start at Stanford. They play Michigan State at home. They play Ohio State at home on that Friday night. Their end of the year schedule is really easy. I mean, it closes out. Iowa at home, at Indiana, then Purdue at home, UMass at home, Minnesota at home, then at Illinois. But if you're going to make me bet this, I think the number is probably about right. But I think there's value with the plus money at six on the under. Slight value. What are your thoughts? Uh, I think I think Northwestern's an enigma. And, and I just – I was so happy at the end of last season because I had to stop thinking about Northwestern. This is a team that went on to beat everybody while they had an offensive rating outside the top 100 in success rate and ISO PPP. Clayton Thorson's gone. The offensive line is gone. The two top receivers are gone. I have no clue what we're going to get from Pat Fitzgerald. All I know is, is once I needed this team and I needed them to cover against Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship, they let me down. So uh, this team, <laughs> we'll see. I think the number is spot on. So there's not going to be a preseason play for me on Northwestern, but I'll be watching them heavily. You know, in week one on August 31st, Northwestern and Stanford play each other. I mean, I've got a total of 50. Based on last year's numbers, assuming pace doesn't change and snap count doesn't change, this team, I've got the total at 50. But I think I would hit the under. In, I mean, where would you hit the under? I think I'd hit the under until 38, <laughs> 39. Not that low, but I need to go over 42, 100%. If you recall, they played, I think they opened the season four years ago in 2015, the season opener. Northwestern mm-hmm. was a dog. It was like an 11 a.m. kick. And which is just maybe it was 11 a.m. local for Stanford, but the game is at Northwestern and Evanston. Northwestern won 16 6. Uh, I think that we could probably expect, I wouldn't surprise me to see a similar score here. But something you have to keep in mind, though, I know we're getting on week one talk here, but something you have to keep in mind is that Stanford students don't even get to school until like the last day of September. They don't start class to the last Monday uh, in September. So this, this, there's going to be a total, a grand total of, 
30 people in the stands and it's just going to be local family of, of people that are on the field. I mean, there's going to be nobody at that game. Wine, tailgate, they drink wine at the, those tailgates there. Classy tailgate at Stanford. All right, so that's the West. We'll have many more thoughts on Northwestern, but I agree. Let's not even go near their win total. Hopefully make their make more money than we did last year week to week uh, on Pat's Cats. But let's get to the East. You know, when you're talking the East and the Big Ten in general, the two favorites are Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, depending on where you look, Ohio State or Michigan might be there, there could be a different favorites on different books. Uh, you know, I think at Westgate, they're both plus 250 to make the playoff. Michigan's 14 to 1 to win the national title. Ohio State's 16 to 1 to win the Big Ten. I think at Westgate, Michigan's plus 160. Ohio State's plus 175. But at some books, Ohio State's the favorite. These two teams are right there. It's probably going to come down to that game in Ann Arbor. Uh, so before we get into the East, let's talk with our guest today, Ari Wasserman of The Athletic, who covers the Ohio State beat. You have A alone, but not Arkansas, like Colin, Arizona. What's going on, Ari? Do you want to give us a quick little background of where you come from and what you cover? Yeah, no, I went to the University of Arizona, the Mecca of college football. <laughs> I've been covering Ohio State for the past nine years, which is crazy to say out loud. And here I am for the Athletic, a subscription-based website app where uh, we have high-level sports writing and uh, no advertisement. So for a small fee, you get a clean app. Awesome uh, experience, can read about every team and every sport, and it's done at a high level. So I'd appreciate it if you guys check it out. Ari uh, and I, we get into it with this U of A thing. We're going to talk about Lute Olson and Nolan Richardson before the podcast is over. But no, The Athletic is really where we start to get our information. It's, you know, we, we can't base our gambling decisions unless we have stuff like what Ari produces about Ohio State, which has helped me form plenty of my opinions this year. But that's why we all watch, right? <laughs> There's nothing better than college football, and it'll be here soon enough. And uh, for those of you betting at home that bet on Colin referencing 90s Arkansas basketball once again, cash your tickets. Uh, all right, so before we get into some Ohio State talk, I do want to ask you, you know, you've been covering Ohio State for a while. You went to Arizona. Are you a fan of either team, or did you grow up rooting for another team? You know, I'm not a fan. I'm a, I'm a journalist, and I cover it right down the middle. Don't care whether they win or lose, and I view it as my duty to inform people on the real deal, good and bad, uh, when it comes to Ohio State football. Obviously, when it comes to Ohio State, most of the stuff is good, right? Because they win all the time. But you know, there's a lot of bias and a lot of you know points of view on the Ohio State interwebs. Um, and I pride myself on being the place that's going to cover it right down the middle. And it's a it's a big point of pride for me. I think it's a huge bonus for people who want to read the real deal and don't want to just read opinions that they already have. Very professional approach. And uh, so let's get into some Ohio State talk. I know you cover them very closely. I guess we'll start with a question that you're going to hear a lot about, especially if, you know, if Ohio State t- takes a loss early or struggles early on. What are you anticipating the drop-off or impact, you know, Urban Meyer leaving? And what is the what is that drop-off? We, you know, he's been so great after buys and first games and in bowls and just everything about Urban Meyer. Uh, so how do you look at that drop-off from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day? I mean, here's the thing. Everybody wants to act like uh, nothing's it's no big deal. But if a team loses one of the best coaches in the history of the game, you have to factor that in. You know, the win total of what they have coming back and the win total that they have uh, in Vegas reflects that loss because I bet you it would be higher than 10 if Urban Meyer were still the head coach, and I think that's fair. Now, the thing with me in college football in general is I think being a head coach in college football is 80% accumulating and having talent, 20% coaching. And the teams that have the best talent are the teams that are winning all the time. And that's part of the reason why you see the same 
three or four teams in the conversation at the end of the year it's because those are the three or four teams that have recruited the best. So uh, I will say that Ryan Day is a great, brilliant offensive mind. I think they've hired and made changes to the defensive staff from some of the issues that they had last year. And they have, most importantly, the talented roster that Urban Meyer helped create. So uh, as it pertains to the future, whether Ryan Day is going to be good enough to, to keep this job long term, in my opinion, is going to be predicated solely on whether or not he has the ability to accumulate talent at the same level. And so far, he's done that. But right now, it's about X and O's and coaching the players that Ohio State has. And there's no team on Ohio State's schedule that has more talent than that. All right, we had uh, we had theorized last year when Urban Meyer was sitting out of suspension that Ohio State was about a two-point drop from when Ryan Day took over to Urban Meyer. So it'd be two points for Urban Meyer as the coach. Uh, but it's even bigger in, in big-time games. When we look at the quarterbacks this year, how much of a drop-off is it going to be from Dwayne Haskins to Justin Fields? Because what we've seen on the field so far with the spring game going 4 of 13, really only had the one big pass, had a bunch of had a bunch of passes go uh, you know, behind a player or in front of the receiver or over the head. Uh, and we haven't really seen him run. Ohio State's not allowed him to run. What is the drop-off we're going to have from Haskins to Fields? And I think that's the number one thing when it comes to approaching this from a gambling standpoint, when you look at Ohio State and their win total, because the number one question is the quarterback, right? And they, you know, Dwayne Haskins is arguably the best quarterback in Ohio State history. He definitely wasn't a passer. And we haven't seen much, if at all, you know, at all of Justin Fields and his capabilities. So I think that you obviously are going to take a major step back in the passing game because there aren't a lot of kids in general in any team that can throw the ball the way Dwayne did. But when it comes to how he's going to translate into Ohio State's offense and what this offense is going to look like once they allow him to run, you know, that's the number one question because you can't run in the spring game. And the thing about the spring game and trying to analyze everything from that standpoint is that you got to remember the kid was at Ohio State for like three weeks by the time he played in that game. He only had 14 or 15 practices under his belt. It's like how much can you possibly gauge, you know, from those pieces of information? To me, not much. I think he's going to run the ball 10 to 15 times a game. I think Dwayne ran it six times a game. I think he's a more athletic player. Um, I don't think he's anywhere in the same galaxy as a passer. But Ohio State has the benefit of one thing, and that's a wealth of talent at every position and every skill position group on the offense. And I think he's going to put up big numbers with the talent that he has around him. But in terms of drop-offs, um, it's going to be a different style, and I think that the same way we talked with with Urban Meyer and Ryan Day, you got to say the same thing with with Dwayne Haskins. He's one of the best quarterbacks in Ohio State history. I'd be nuts to tell you that there's no drop off. Of course, there's drop off. That was a top fifteen pick. Yeah, currently the Westgate is listing Justin Fields at ten to one to win the Heisman, which is, I mean, lower odds than what Haskins was listed at about a year ago. And I think the big question for me, the reason why I'm kind of fading Justin Fields, or at least not touching him in the Heisman chances. It's because at the end of the day, two is going to rack up 4,000 yards. And Trevor Lawrence last year had a 30 to four touchdown to interception ratio. Uh, is Justin Fields going to play in garbage time against Florida Atlantic, against Cincinnati, against Miami of Ohio? Yeah, yeah. When these garbage times come around, I mean, he's not going to be there to rack up the yards. Like, I mean, two of us sitting after the second quarter, but what are they going to do with Justin Fields? Well, this is the thing that you need to take into account. When Ohio State got Justin Fields into the fold last year, they lost their two backup quarterbacks through the transfer portal. And they replaced them with a quarterback who couldn't win the job at Kentucky in a while. So, to me, this is the biggest balance tightrope act that Ohio State's coaching staff is going to have to do all year is balance between helping Fields play enough to continue to gain experience and get better as the season progresses. But Ohio State, if, if he gets injured, they are screwed. 
So, like, they have to, you know, play that balance of how much do you play it. And I think Ohio State has left their players in too long in the past. Now they can't play. They can't mess around with that because they're one injury away from maybe losing four or five games, in my opinion. So it's about the entire season has been staked on this kid. And I think he's very talented. And I think that in Ohio State's offense, if you are a team that is going to compete for a national championship, you're going to put up the numbers, you're going to be in the conversation by default. you got to understand, too, that people who vote for the Heisman are, are people. They're biased. It's not just about how much stats or how many yards or touchdowns he's going to rack up in the third quarter and fourth quarter against FAU. These people, for right or wrong, you got to remember that this kid's a transfer. And people don't like people who transfer. So... Even if he ends up having a great year, there's going to be a, a built-in bias with him from the voters of, hey, he left Georgia because he didn't want to sit behind prom. So there's a lot of different things in terms of the Heisman race that I think that you have to take into account, especially myself. I'm a Heisman voter, and I think about all sorts of those things when I'm making those picks. Yeah, I think it, it's definitely an interesting point that you bring up, Kong, because I think Ohio State really wants to balance you know, getting fields up to speed, but also making sure that he stays healthy for the end of the year for a game like Michigan. Uh, and obviously that's the big game. As of right now, are Michigan's favored by about three the, in the look-ahead market against Ohio State? Michigan, had, uh, many of you know, Michigan hasn't won this game since 2011. Harbaugh's 0-4. Is this the year you think that Michigan, I mean, it's going to be in Ann Arbor, finally beats Ohio State, or does the trend continue? And then along those lines, if you had to pick, Ohio State with over under 10 wins if you had to bet it. So two-part question there. What do you think about the Michigan game and then the overall win total? Here's the thing about the Michigan game. Isn't the spread always three or two, whatever? I mean, I feel like that's always the case. Um, And I don't even remember what it was last year, but last year I was convinced that this was the year Michigan was going to beat Ohio State. They seemed to have a better team. Ohio State barely just beat Maryland. Gave up, what, 500 and some yards of offense. I, I was convinced. And what was the spread last year? I don't remember off the top of my head, but I think it was Michigan minus three. Mm-hmm. And they were giving they were giving points to Ohio State at home. And, like, until Jim Harbaugh beats Ohio State, I'm taking points. I mean, why? who wouldn't take the points? Especially if you think it's going to be a close game. From a gambling standpoint, you take points and the better players every time, right? And until Michigan actually turns out to – beat Ohio State because there's other psychological issues and things that go on to that. Whatever happened, Michigan choked completely in, in every possible way in last year's game. Until they beat Ohio State with less talented players, I don't even care about experience. Less talented across the board, I'm not going to expect them to do that. If I were going to take the over-under on win totals, I would take the over. When you told me it was 10, the ability to push there kind of makes it a little bit more attractive to take the over because I think Ohio State absolutely could go 10-2. and two. Absolutely. They have a pretty tough schedule, and I'm sure we'll get to the Iowa and Purdue losses. Those were the two most inexplicable losses in Ohio State history, in my opinion. For a team that has that much of a talent advantage to lose by that much, I've never seen it before. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. How many players did Purdue or Iowa have on their rosters that would have started on the other side? One One to three total players on both teams in both years? Then to blow them out that way? I've never seen that before. And part of the reason, I think, was coaching deficiencies, and those deficiencies have been apparently changed with the entirely new defensive staff. So to me, I'm taking the points and I'm taking the over and win total because they could lose two games and win 10 easily. So let's talk about the guy that was at the center of that blowout, that Ohio State blowout of of Michigan last year, which would be the defensive line coach for Michigan, who is now the defensive coordinator for Ohio State, and that's Greg Madison. Uh, Greg Madison has worked with Jack Harbaugh, John Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, 
And so he took this opportunity to jump ship for mission and go to Ohio State because he wanted a coordinating position. Uh, he doubled his salary. Harbaugh understands why he did it. I feel, I still think he's heard about it and he's going to take it personal, but he understands why that happened. There was some talk about it at media day. I think the focus though, I mean, Madison could be, uh, he could be good for the Ohio State offense considering some of the advanced splits that I've seen. But I think more importantly, we need to focus on what do we know about Jeff Halfley, who's going to be coaching the secondary? He's the co-defensive coordinator. He's going to be running with the defensive backs. And the Niners, he's been with the San Francisco 49ers the last three years. And their defensive pass, pass efficiency ranks the last three years have been 27th, 28th, and 28th per football outsiders. So what do we see with the Halfley hire? And is he going to get the secondary to be able to defend explosiveness a bit better? Absolutely. Uh, good question. And that's the thing that you have to kind of wait and see. Uh, the one thing I will say, there's a much bigger difference in talent discrepancy in the college game. So sometimes when I go and I look at like what a coach did in the NFL, for good or for bad, I take it with a grain of salt because Halfley didn't create the roster. And when the 49ers lined up against the other teams last year, he didn't get to pick who was on his team or who they were playing. And at Ohio State, they have better players. So a coach is at an, a, a distinct advantage every week when they line up because they have the ability to um, have their errors corrected by just pure athleticism. It's an odd thing to think, well, Ohio State dropped 62 points on Michigan. Let's go get uh, you know, Madison and now Washington, the new linebacker coach from the team that they just put 62 on, and then now they're going to fix the defense. And I think with Ohio State's defense specifically, A, I think their scheme, or the way it was explained to me, it was their scheme was done by Greg Schiano last year, and it was very complex NFL-type scheme, given Schiano's background with the Buccaneers and in the NFL. And I think Ohio State has spent a lot of time this year simplifying the scheme, adding that linebacker hybrid position, and just letting the athletes go play football. You know, that was the worst defense in Ohio State history. And I don't know if that's because they didn't have good players or it was just because of schematic issues. So to me, it's not the players. How could it be the players? They've got better players. It's a, it's a schematic issue. So do I think that Ohio State has hired new people that can bring in new perspective and change the scheme to better suit the players that they have? You have to imagine that they did and that they're going to try to correct it. Because honestly, the entire idea or the, the feeling of them having that defense last year still doesn't make sense. I have no idea how Maryland put up 600 yards of offense on that team with the horses they have on that flag. I completely agree. I was tweeting out the other night that uh, TCU and Ohio State from last year was on ESPNU, and it was just this Shiano scheme where he had the defensive line slants and stunts, and, and they, it was going the complete direct opposite of the way that TCU was uh, had their offense rushing the ball. So with that being asked, the Buckeyes defense was – 122nd defending rush explosiveness last year. You know, Iowa 2017 happened. Purdue 2018 happened. Is there a game on the schedule this year that Ohio State fans should be looking out for? Now, I would point to Nebraska and their rushing attack. I would even say Maryland. They were third in rushing uh, explosiveness last year. Do you see a game on here that's kind of a trap game for Ohio State where, you know, another Iowa or Purdue could happen? Well, if you would have asked me two years ago at this point in time, is there a trap game on the schedule? I've been like, no, Ohio State doesn't lose trap games. And like, if you go back and you look the last 15 years before the last two, what was the worst team they lost to? I mean, they lost to Michigan State, and they lost to Michigan um, at times, and they lost to you know, other teams and bowl games and stuff, but they never lost to a team like Purdue. But they would always blow out that cute team that everyone was, uh, hey, this is a trap. Ohio State would always end up, even on the road, going in there and stomping yeah, them out. Yeah, I mean, well, they, don't, they, they would lose games with teams that were good. They would never lose to the bottom half of the conference. So to sit here and say, well, 
If I were you, I would circle that Indiana game. You're never going to hear about them. Indiana doesn't belong on the same field as Ohio State. But I think everybody is circling three games that aren't the premier obvious ones. They're circling the Cincinnati game because Luke Fickle's coming back home. Cincinnati is returning a lot of talent. That was a 10-win team last year. And, you know, Luke Fickle, because his entire life could be made by them, you know, playing Ohio State on the road. The second one is the Nebraska game because it's year two of Scott Frost. You know, they've got a very good quarterback and a sophomore in Adrian Martinez, and they've got a lot going for them. And then three is the Northwestern game on the road on Friday night, which is a weird primetime television Friday game. And every time Ohio State goes to Northwestern, even though it's been few and far between, they grow the grass out. It's always raining. It's always a weird game. Pat Fitzgerald is going to play up the revenge thing and biggest game in Northwestern history all over again. They do that stuff every year. But it's just like, are these talent gaps really close? Like, no, they're not. Ohio State returns a pretty solid portion of their roster, um, and it's up to them to get better. And I don't think Ohio State got worse enough for me to start picking, you know, Northwestern to win or Indiana to win. And if that happens, you know, that'll be the inexplicable loss, just like Iowa two years ago and Purdue last year. And to me, those losses cost coaches to get fired, and they should. So that's the thing. I can't predict that. They're inexplicable and crazy because nobody can see them coming. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Ohio State brings a lot back, especially on defense, but they're they're the type of program that obviously just reloads. And, you know, like in Alabama, Clemson, these premier programs, you can just replace a kid that's gone with another five-star. Uh, so before we let you go, I know that you do follow the recruiting trail pretty closely. Is there an incoming freshman uh, that our listeners should keep an eye on that could be a high-impact player for the Buckeyes this year? Well, Ohio State is recruiting four or five five-star prospects every year, so they've got a lot of talent. And even players that aren't freshmen or redshirt freshmen or sophomores are going to step up. But Ohio State lost a ton of uh, firepower at the receiver position, and they've got a true freshman named Garrett Wilson who's a receiver. And I think he's going to step into the rotation immediately and be very, very good. And the coaching staff and the whole thing in general of whether Ohio State's going to be in the national title conversation is going to be based on whether or not the coaches have the gumption the fortitude to go out there and replace older players that might not be as talented or as good as natural young players. And I think Garrett Wilson fits that bill in the receiver room. I think Taraja Mitchell got the talent. The coaching staff now has to put together and make them a good team. There you have it. Yeah, I think that the field's connection and how he can grow with Wilson as the season goes on uh, will go a long way in determining how successful the Ohio State season is. Uh, Thanks for joining us, Ari. Check out his stuff at The Athletic. Uh, You can also follow him at Ari Wasserman. Thanks for joining us, brother. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, take care. Now that we've talked with Ari, let's let's give our thoughts on Ohio State. Over-under is 10 wins. And, you know, Ari said at 10, I mean, they're – he likes the over because of that potential to push. Look, I'm not a fan of this Ohio State team this year. I do think there's going to be a significant drop-off. I do think the schedule is potentially trickier than many are thinking it's going to be. They also host Michigan State, who has enormous revenge. And we'll get to Michigan State for that 48-3 loss. Uh, so I, I think the schedule looks pretty tricky. Uh, so it wouldn't shock me to see nine wins. I mean, and if things go bad, eight wins, an eight and four Ohio State team. I want no part of them in the futures market, no part of them to win the Big Ten. Uh, I've said before, I think Michigan is winning this division and the Big Ten and getting to a Big Ten championship for the first time ever. They've never been there, which is crazy. But Ohio State, look, we said new defensive system. They have a new quarterback, new coach. The defense should be better. They bring back nine starters, but, I mean, can they finally stop explosive plays in this new system? Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Ohio State overall? 
I'm right there with you. I'm on, I mean, I'm on the under two. I, I've hit 10 at plus juice and I've hit under 10 and a half with, uh, with plenty of uh, minus juice. You know, the Buckeyes are 117th in returning production on offense, which means they're going to have a lot of new faces around Justin Fields and they're eighth on defense. And you would think that it's a good thing that Ohio state is going to return a whole bunch of players from last year's team. But this is a team that was 122nd against rush explosiveness. Nebraska would feast on that. They're 126th in defensive passing downs explosiveness. That means anytime a team gets in a pass situation, they're just blowing the doors off of Ohio State like Purdue did last year. Their defensive back havoc rate was 84th in the nation. And we talked to Ari about the new coaches. You know, Jeff Halfley comes in from the 49ers. And Greg Madison is the defensive line coach from Michigan. He just got blown out by Ohio State, and he's rewarded by being the defensive coordinator of Ohio State. So that doesn't make much sense either. There's a prop out there in Vegas. There may be some in New Jersey. I don't know if you can find it, but I know it's out there in Vegas about who will have more wins at the end of the season. It's basically a pick em between Michigan and Ohio State. I would take Michigan on that all day. Uh, fields at 10-1 to 1 for the Heisman. Uh, that I mean, even Haskins didn't have that number last year. I think that number is completely... Stay away. I think it's a complete stay away. I don't like anything that's going on with this team uh, until they get their, you know, until they get things fixed on defense about stopping explosive plays, especially on the ground. Uh, they're not going to beat anybody that has a pulse on offense. Yeah. Yeah. I think the schedule's it's uh, tricky. It's trickier than people think. And I think they lose two of these mm-hmm. road games at Michigan, at Nebraska, at Northwestern, at Indiana. I think they lose well, at Michigan for sure. And then Michigan State and Cincy are potentially tricky at home. And uh, I think Michigan State's going to beat them. We'll get to them. Look at the teams on the schedule that have a, a very decent running game. Maryland is one of them. Wisconsin is definitely one of them. Nebraska is one of them. And I think Penn State and Ohio State, you have to fact check me on this. I don't think they've had a game played outside of like three or four points. I think like every game has been a, a, a one possession game for the last number of years when Franklin got there. Ten wins, uh, that's asking a lot in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I will say for Ohio State listeners out there is that, look, you have a rock in J.K. Dobbins in the backfield. The rushing game should be uh, excellent. And look, this is Ohio State. They do reload. They have a ton of talent. So there's been years before where people are like, eh. And then all of a sudden you have these kids who come in and all of a sudden it's like, wow, they're significantly better than a lot of people uh, like ourselves thought. So you do have that going for you. And also the first special team shout out of the podcast. Uh, they have an excellent punter. <laughs> And Drew Crispin, who can be a weapon Ray Guy finalist. So uh, that's Ohio State. But I would agree. I think it's under, especially if you can get ten under 10 and a half. What other podcast in July is talking about the punter? I mean, we we will we, only we here everything that you need here. All the one stop shop here is what we got. So we bet Michigan. We are both higher on over under 10 and a half. But it depends on where you look. I mean, the 10 and a half at Westgate's plus 150 if you want to go over, which I actually like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this comes down to look if Shea Patterson coming back at quarterback they're gonna have a new offensive system with a new coordinator they're gonna go no huddle it's gonna be a pro style spread it's not, it's Michigan's gonna look completely different on offense this is what they've been missing you have four years of Harbaugh's recruiting in there you know the schedule you know that they're in the east they have Notre Dame Wisconsin Iowa so the schedule isn't easy they also have to replace a lot of guys on defense you replace them Bush and Gary and Winovich but I think the question is can they lose just one game and win the Big Ten I think yes and if they do they're going to the college football playoff Plus, their three biggest games are at home, Notre Dame, Michigan State, and Ohio State. They're all in Ann Arbor. So I think the biggest questions there with this team are, can the receivers take the next step up in this offense and step up? Can, it, can the offense complement the defense? Defense did lose a lot, but it should still be excellent. Uh, you know, Michigan's defense is just death taxes in Michigan's defense the last couple of years. And then, if so, I think the whole season 
you know, I'm on Michigan Futures. I have them 14 to 1. I have them to win the Big Ten. Uh, I have some over win totals. But I think the whole season comes down to that game against Wisconsin. If they can win that game at Wisconsin, you know, like I said, their three other biggest games are at home. But that game early in the year, you know, so they, they start with Middle Tennessee State and then they have Army at home. So who knows? Maybe Army can give them a scare. Then they have a bye, then they're at Wisconsin. <laughs> and then it's home against Rutgers, home against Iowa, at Illinois, at Penn State, who's down. We'll get to them. Then then home against Notre Dame. But if they win that game at Wisconsin and this new system is clicking, so there's a lot of change. The ceiling is so high. If they win that game at Wisconsin, I think they could run the table. I'm very high on Michigan, and it is scaring me with all the change. But I think they finally might have this offense as long as the receivers can step up. Your thoughts? I got to throw some cold water on all this, you know. Listen, I agree. I like Michigan. It all looks good. I love the hiring of offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis. He comes in after a year at Alabama. Uh, before that, he was attached to James Franklin with uh, Penn State and Vanderbilt. Uh, he is highly respected in, in the world of offensive coordinators, and 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 this was a major get for Harbaugh to come up and, and call the offense. You're right. It is a no-huddle RPO that they're going to move to, but the good news for the offensive lineman is it's still going to be zone blocking. So it's not going to be that much of a change for the offensive lineman. That's a good thing. If you want to take Michigan preseason, that's a good thing because they shouldn't have any problems coming out against Middle Tennessee State and having missed assignments on the offensive line. You know, it's the lineup and the skill positions that are around Shea Patterson. They're going to have some wrinkles. There's going to be a lot more motion. They're going to line up in different places. Uh, Like we said, there's not going to be a huddle here. Uh, Gaddis called this at media days. He called it a mutt offense, which means he said it's going to be a mixture of what he learned with Joe Moorhead at Penn State and what Michigan did last year. So it's going to be a little mixture of both to come to come out. And, you know, Michigan was 22nd in standard downs run rate and 123rd in pace. And I want to bring that point to light because that's how Michigan they almost never pass the ball on first down, never pass the ball on first down, never pass the ball on second and close. Uh, that's all going to change this year. Those ratios are going to go away. And I think you should look for an over. I mean, if they're going to run no huddle RPO, then I think over is the way to go. What scares me about that, though, as a gambler, I'm trying to poke holes in all this Michigan love. And if you want me to poke holes, I'll say, hey, wait, look, Army will limit the number of possessions in week two. Army did it to Oklahoma. They allowed them to have like eight possessions on the game. You have to score every single time. When Army plays the style that they do, if they're allowed to, you know, have four downs and get the first down every time, then what happens if, you know, you know, they only get seven or eight possessions and they only score on four of them. Does Harbaugh come out right away and, you know, take the offense back or does he want to sit in on the meetings and start changing the play calling or, or changing the way that they lined up? You have to remember there were three different minds that were coming up with the offensive plan last year and it just didn't work. But can Harbaugh keep his fingers off this offensive play call if Army is able to limit the number of possessions uh, and Michigan doesn't have an efficient game? It could happen. The other thing that kind of scares me about this we mentioned that Josh Gaddis came from James Franklin's school of thought with the offensive coordinating. Uh, you know, at Penn State's on the schedule. So anything Josh Gaddis is going to run, James Franklin pretty much should have it sniffed out. So that's going to be a game on the schedule you just got to watch. And, you know, will the no huddle increase the number of snaps per game and will it pull the efficiency down on the defense? You hear that with Chip Kelly. Everywhere Chip Kelly's gone, he's increased the number of snaps, you know, whether it's uh, his time in the NFL or he gets out to UCLA. When you increase the number of snaps that the offense goes no huddle and, and runs this kind of offense, the defense is the one that's out of shape and maybe not ready to play so fast. Uh, so, you know, is that going to have uh, any effect on Michigan's stellar defensive splits? Uh, so if I was a gambler and I want to poke cracks into all this, uh, that's where I would do it. 
So I think what I'm saying is that I like Michigan, but I'm going to wait until they play Wisconsin on the road because Michigan's big deal was always road games. And if they can go in and win at Wisconsin, then I will put just as much down during the middle of the season with a worse number. But if I'm convinced after that Wisconsin game that they can win it all, I will let the world know on September 22nd that I think this is a college football playoff and I will invest accordingly. In regards to that point with the Chip Kelly and the offense and defense is a valid point, but I do still think that they're going to run it more than you would see, you know, a Chip Kelly offense or these shotgun spread offenses. I, you know, it's a hardball team. Uh, and watch this. Uh, all my love for Michigan. Well, Army's going to beat them and Bodog Jim is going to come back to haunt me. Don't gamble. Don't associate with gamblers. Avoid it like the, the plague. Let's check in with Bodog Jim. So, but look, if they win that game, that was, and, but I think that Army game, they have a bye, will help if they survive it, will help against Wisconsin, facing that Army rushing attack for Jonathan Taylor with a bye uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And if they win that game, Wisconsin, we said how great they've been at home. Their remaining road games are Indiana, Penn State, Illinois, and Maryland. I mean, mm-hmm. that is extremely favorable, but much more to come on Michigan. Uh, over the next month or so than throughout the season. And if you thought I love Michigan, I'm, I think I might run for mayor of Michigan. A couple of years ago, I ran for mayor of Oklahoma. I love Michigan State, too. And their over-under is eight wins. Colin hasn't projected for 7.4. By the way, Colin, you project 10.1-ish for Michigan. But I love Michigan State over eight is probably my favorite win total in the Big Ten. Uh, I think they're getting the 10 wins. I said death, taxes, and Michigan defense. Death, taxes, D'Antonio, bounce back years. Any time that he's lost seven or fewer games, the season following, he's won at least nine in every season. And, and the average in those four times is 10.75. The defense should be excellent. One of the best in the country. They bring back eight starters. They were the number one rush defense in the country last year. The defense is going to be excellent. Also, all five starters back on the offensive line. That's huge. Lewerke back at quarterback and healthy. This team has 17 starters back overall. The offensive line is there. The coaching is there. The quarterback play and the defense. It has all the formula for a bounce back year for Michigan State. I don't see how they wouldn't win a minimum of eight games. The schedule is tough. I will give you that. Uh, But look, I think the running game, which was atrocious last year, can also take a step forward. Look out for freshman Anthony Williams. You know, they don't, also don't have to go out west where they're 0-13, right. west of Colorado all time. I think they're gonna that that they're gonna get that revenge over Ohio State, that 48-3 loss. I love this Michigan State team. I don't think they win at Michigan, which I think is the difference in the division, but I love the over eight wins. Uh, you gonna pour water on me here too? No, I actually, I mean, I can, I can make a case for the over, but I, it, to me, it comes to one central point on this team, and that is the offensive line. Listen, they're a top ten defense in the nation, but there were a bottom ten offense last year, and that was because of the offensive line. Brian Lewerke couldn't stay healthy. They had uh, other kids coming in to play quarterback while he was trying to, you know, while he was trying to just take the field. But this year, the offensive line all returns. They lose only only one lineman who had four starts from 2018. Other than that, everybody returns. This offensive line last year, I hope they've been hitting the weights and they've been bulking up because last year they were 122nd in rush efficiency and they were 96 in stuff rate. They couldn't move anything. 
If the offensive line is clicking, they're easily going to go over their win total. You're right. They play Tulsa. They play Western Michigan to start off. Shouldn't be a problem there. They play Arizona State where it won't be 115 degrees again. It'll be played up in the state of Michigan. So, yeah, I agree. I like the over here more than just, you know, stay, not playing at all. I I would take a Spartans over. Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's move on to another team that's perennially in the discussion for a Big Ten championship, but I don't think so this year, and that's Penn State. Their over-under is 8.5. Colin, you project 7.8. I'm sorry, this is not a nine-win mm-hmm. team. Uh, there's a lot of question marks, and I think the name brand of Penn State is there's a little inflation here. I just don't see how they get the nine wins. Obviously, McSorley's gone, one of the best quarterbacks of all time at Penn State. They also lost their backup, Tommy Stevens, who transferred to Miss State. A lot of transfers from Penn State, which could be a red flag. So there's questions at quarterback, which is never a good thing. Uh, the defense should be solid, especially at linebacker. So the Penn State defense is going to be good, but they lost a ton overall. Uh, I'm not a fan of the offensive coordinator. I said that when they lost Moorhead. It showed last year. Uh, mm-hmm. They do have an easy non-conference, but I, this just just to me, flat out, this is not a nine-win team, so I like the under. Uh, thoughts on Penn State? Yeah, I completely agree with you. The defense is going to be loaded. They're going to be fantastic again. Uh, you know, there's a, a bed and art piece on the Action Network you guys should go check out. I've, I've definitely got a bunch of Penn State players listed in there and some analysis on that. Uh, you know, the offense is going to be run by Sean Clifford. Obviously, Sean Clifford is good enough to get Tommy Stevens to transfer down to Mississippi State and play for Joe Moorhead. Uh, I think you have to look at the Joe Moorhead effect. I went back and started looking at Joe Moorhead's time at Penn State versus what happened at Penn State offensively last year. So in 2017, now I know that, you know, the Saquon Barkley and the Trace McSorley effect is in there, but the 2017 offense was eighth in efficiency and ninth in ISO PPP. 2018, last year, same categories, 56th and 57th. There was a massive drop off, drop off in efficiency, a massive drop off in explosiveness. It just looked off all year. They did. Absolutely. They did. And it's not a team I'm playing over whatsoever. I completely agree with you. It's an underplay. I'm not taking them to win the division. And, and you know, I want to see more sample size of post-Moorhead. Just how, you know, who was really responsible for the greatness of those Penn State teams that went out to the Rose Bowl and played USC and Sam Darnold? Was it Joe Moorhead? Was it Saquon Barkley? Was it Trace McSorley? Was it all three? I, I think we're still learning that maybe it was, you know, more Moorhead than the players. More Moorhead, yeah. I mean, to be fair, just to not to pat ourselves on the back, but... Whenever anyone says not to pat myself on the back, they're going to pat themselves on the back, which I will do now. We said that last year. We said the loss of Moorhead would be big, and I think it's going to carry over to this year. Here's another team in the Big Ten that there's a big discrepancy in the win total that's out there and your projections. You have Maryland projected a 5.3 wins, and the over-under is 3.5 at Westgate. I mean, over 3.5 minus 150 if you want to play the over. They have a new coach in there. Uh, They have new coordinators, so there's a lot of change. Uh, They should have a solid rushing attack, once again, led by Anthony McFarland. Uh, They only have three starters back on D, but maybe that's a good thing. Their D was not good last year. Virginia Tech transfer quarterback Joshua Jackson uh, should take over the reins under center. They only have 10 starters returning overall, but I don't don't really have a great feel on this Maryland team uh, or the win total, but it sounds like you like the over here, but are you staying away with all the coaching changes? No, I actually have invested on the over, but I got it earlier, uh, at, you know, at, at a better number. But I, I still would suggest taking it. I mean, the, look at the schedule: Howard, Temple, and Rutgers. I mean, that should be three wins right there. After that, Indiana and Purdue are pretty much coin flips. We've talked about them. They have two great scheduling spots uh, this year, which is Syracuse. They play Syracuse the week before the Orange play Clemson, so it's a great look ahead spot for Syracuse for Maryland to catch them. Same thing we mentioned earlier on the podcast. They're going to play Nebraska at home. 
in a, in, in a sandwich game that's between uh, Wisconsin and Iowa. That's the weekend before Thanksgiving. Sandwiches. 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 Uh, I can't imagine Nebraska is going to be too focused in there, especially if they're not in contention for the West at that point. But I mean, there's just spots on the schedule. I like Josh Jackson transferring in from Virginia Tech. Let's see if I can say this. It's been two years since he transferred in. But Max Bortenschlager is going to be back there. Terrell Pigram is going to be Sounds there. like a German uh, beer. Gonna, uh, we had problems with that. He was out there at Oregon. We had problems pronouncing his name. But yeah, Borten. Bortenschlager is back. Bortenschlager is awful, brother. You know that. <laughs> we lost. I, we lost a lot of money when he was there for Oregon when he when he came in to play. Uh, oh, he's so, so bad. Uh, he was bad. He was bad. Uh, please don't uh, tell me you you're know, basing any of this Maryland love on Bortenschlager. No, not Bortenschlager. McFarland. I mean, they were number. They had the number three rushing attack last year. They're, they. This is this is Maryland's problem. It's the same problem every year. They're highly explosive on offense and they're good at defending explosiveness on defense, but they're terrible in efficiency, both sides of the ball. I mean, there's so much three and out going on on both sides of the ball. Somebody's got to come in. Maybe Loxley can do it. You know, Loxley comes in after being the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Maybe he can come in and find some balance because all Maryland is, is just one explosive play and three and out after another. That's all that they've ever been. But don't sleep on Howard, baby. Who's in the NFL that went to Howard? Can, 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 they, beat, they won at UNLV a couple years ago. Cam, Cam Newton's little Newton. brother isn't there anymore. Is he still there? Yeah, Kalen Newton's the quarterback. He's still there. Is he still there? Absolutely. So Kalen Newton, they're they're going to be pretty good this year. They could make – I mean, they had a great offense last year. They were top 20 in FCS. Uh, they averaged, what, I think close to 35 points per game. Now their defense was awful. They gave up close to 35 in FCS. So that game could be a shootout, by the way. But they, you know, they could potentially be in the MIAC race in the FCS. Sorry, I won't go too much into it. But yeah, Kalen Newton's still there, you know, quarterback. I believe. Maybe someone will I, correct me. I'm not going to worry about it though, because Maryland's good at stopping explosive runs, and he'll be able to stop, you know, little baby Newton all day. Uh, Ezard, the receiver, look out for him too. Well, we'll have much more on that anyway. Before we get to Butkers at the, in the basement, we do have to cover Indiana. Uh, win total is six and a half over six and a half. Westgate's plus one ten. Colin, you project seven wins. Here's the thing with Indiana. They finished five and seven each of the past two years and just missed the bowl in the same exact fashion. They lost to Purdue in the final game of the year. They play Purdue in the final game of the year again this year. Now, here's the thing. I think Indiana's going to go bowling this year, but my prediction is they're going to have six wins at that game. And the win total is going to be decided in that Purdue game. So it's not bold this year. So mm-hmm. I don't want anything to, to do with Indiana because if you like them over, then just bet them at Purdue as a dog. So, but the, the question is, I, I think they're going to get the six wins. The win total looks about right to me. They have a quarterback competition going on. The defense should be better. <clears throat> New offensive coordinator in there, uh, DeBoer from Fresno. You know, I think the question is, can Allen, their head coach, finally get a big upset? They've been close and they beat the teams that they should beat, but they haven't really been able to secure an upset. And I think that, you know, if they want to get to the win total, they need to win three of the following at Maryland, at Nebraska, Northwestern at home. I say they win that at Penn State. I don't think they win that, but maybe Michigan at home. Don't think so. And at Purdue. So, again, they probably could win Northwestern, maybe at Maryland. And then if so, it comes down to at Purdue. So I want no part of this win total because, you know, I think it just comes down to that last game of the year. And they'll have major revenge and really want that game. But they'll also, I think, be Cumble eligible the week before. What are your thoughts on the Hoosiers? 
both teams from the state of Indiana are probably going to have their win total decided in that last game of the season between, uh, you know, when Indiana goes to play Purdue. This is a team I know mathematically that that I, I come in at seven flat and the and the and the total right now is six with a lot of juice on the over. But listen, they got points for returning production. But how good is your returning production? Peyton Ramsey comes back at quarterback. He had a 16 to 13 TD to INT ratio last year. He's not a really good quarterback. I don't even think he's in the top nine, top 10. I don't know how many quarterbacks are ahead of him, but he's just not very efficient. He's definitely not explosive. Uh, you know, they were 13th in completion percentage, but 126 in pass explosiveness. So and that really kind of sums up the Peyton Ramsey era at Indiana. And Tom Allen, it just doesn't seem like things are getting any better. I mean, this is the guy that was the defensive coordinator when Kevin Wilson was there. Kevin Wilson got fired, moved on to Ohio State. Tom Wilson ascended to the head coaching position, but he's still in charge of the defense. And that defense last year was 95th in finishing drives and 87th in havoc. So they're going to allow you to march it down the field and score points, and they're never going to make you fumble or have an INT. So their head coach is a defensive-minded guy. They're not playing really good defense. They're getting points. You know, They're getting upticks in their power rating for returning production, yet their quarterback isn't very efficient whatsoever, and he's not explosive. So I don't, I don't like this Indiana team whatsoever. But then again, like I said, stay away. That Purdue Indiana game is going to decide, uh, you know, who who reaches over their win total. Agreed. Uh, all right. So before we close with our favorite win totals in the Big Ten and predictions for who's getting to the big to Indianapolis, the Big Ten championship, we have to finish with Rutgers. We didn't forget about you, uh, Rutgers uh, and Piscataway. Over under three wins. Over three minus one twenty. So there's some love in the market. This has risen. This win total. Uh, there's a QB competition. Uh, from the kid, I forget his name. What was it? Stikowski last year was the starter, and McLean Carter, the transfer uh, in from Texas Tech. Stikowski, what did he have? Two touchdowns and seventy picks last year. I mean, he was they just... had four four TDs and eight and eighteen interceptions. Come I mean, on. their offense was dreadful. I mean, it was the worst offense in all of college football. It could be again this year, and them and Rice. Uh, Rice's offense is maybe worse. So, I mean, but the off can it really get any worse? I mean, I think McLean Carter should get the nod there. I don't know how that quarterback battle is going. Uh, but I think this, the win total is pretty spot on. I mean, they should beat UMass at home, I think. And they should beat Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. And maybe Maryland at home uh, in a good spot to get the three. Maybe they pull another upset. But I think three is about right. Thoughts on Butkers? Yeah, take the under three, everybody. Uh, let's have some fun with this. Ash is going to be heading out the door. Uh, they're going to need that win against Liberty. Uh, that is not going to happen. Liberty, by the time Hugh Freeze gets that deep into the season in late October, that, you know, Buckshot Calvert or whoever transfer they've had to come in there, they're going to be rolling. There is a proven history. And we'll get to this on the Group of Five podcast. There is a proven history of what Hugh Freeze can do in his first year at a university, whether it's Ole Miss or Arkansas State. That's the game that Rutgers has to have just to get to three wins. They're not going to get it. Take the under three. Uh, we'll all have that cash by the time uh, November rolls around. Well, what do you project that line to be? So why not just bet Liberty? Yeah, you could bet it that week. Uh, let me go ahead and look and see what my my projection is for that. And it obviously could game. change because you know Rutgers could have an – one of their who, who knows who's going to be quarterbacking if their offense is better and who knows how good Liberty is going to be. I, I've got the game at my at Rutgers minus one at home minus one. So on a neutral field. So, you know, I, I think S&P plus has that at four. And if you like to follow FPI, which, you know, 
could be could be fun. Uh, they have it at eleven, but no, I'll stick to my guns here. Rutgers minus one against Liberty, and I think Liberty wins that game. People just don't understand that once Hugh Freeze gets rolling there, he's you know Chris Ash is going to be thinking about where his next position is going to be by this time of the season. So I think under is is the way to go on Rutgers. Uh, I should give you an assignment, by the way. I know we've done some work on back-to-back-to-back road games in college Mm -hmm. football in the past. Liberty has four straight road games on their schedule, starting (laughs) with at Rutgers. And then they go at UMass. So they're going to go up 95 to UMass, to Amherst. And then they're at BYU. So they're going to go out west. They do have a bye, but then they're at Virginia, which obviously is in the same state. But that's four road games in a row. Uh, But that at BYU... That could be brutal. I can't wait to talk some Liberty in their win total, by the way. Yeah, they, have, but, they have New Mexico State on the schedule again twice. Look, they have New Mexico. They play Hampton. It's a great schedule. Look, look at this lead up up to Rutgers, right? It, let me just further accentuate the fact that Rutgers is not going to get to three wins because Liberty's going to beat them. Liberty leading up to Rutgers. Here's their schedule. You ready? Hampton, New Mexico at home, out to New Mexico State for the first of what will be, that would be their third game in the last two years. Then a bye. Then Maine, the Black Bears of Maine. I mean, this schedule, Hampton, Maine, New Mexico, New Mexico State, and then you get to go to Rutgers, they're going to win that game. We don't have enough time for all this. but And I don't like the disrespect of Maine. Uh, could be back in the playoff, <laughs> but we'll, we'll get there. Um, all right, so before we close out here, uh, let's just go through, uh, name a couple of our win totals, our favorite win totals, and then also give our predictions for the Big Ten Championship preliminary. They could change in a month from now. We'll give our final ones on our recap episode. Uh, I'll start. My favorite win totals, Penn State under eight and a half, Michigan State over eight, Ohio State under 10, Minnesota over seven and a half. I think Illinois and Nebraska, Illinois, Nebraska, Rutgers, Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, they're pretty spot on. Although I might, I, I did invest in Michigan, but I think that the actual numbers because of the juice, Iowa, Maryland, Northwestern, and Purdue seem a little a tad high to me, uh, but I won't be getting involved in my prediction for the Big Ten Championship, even though I probably already gave it away. Michigan, Minnesota, two teams who have never <laughs> been to the Big Ten Championship game. So how about you? Favorite win totals in your prediction? Well, I would love to join you in that, but I, like I said before, Minnesota, they, I just worry about the actual talent level that they have on defense to be able to win the division. So to get started, I'm going to go, I've already placed money. I'm, I'm going to echo a lot of what you got, but I have live money, plenty of live money down on Nebraska under eight and a half and under it at plus money. I have the same thing with Ohio State. Lots on under 10 and a half, lots on under 10. Uh, I have money on Illinois over, so I like the over four if you can get that. Uh, try to find the lowest juice possible. I have Maryland on the over four. Uh, and Stucky and I have, I do not have money. Uh, Stucky and I have sat here and had this podcast on Michigan State. But I am going to look for the best available number on the seven and a half. Uh, and I'm going to pick that off. And I'll be over on the Spartans this year. Uh, after that, I'm going to I'm gonna stick with, uh, I would like to take an under on Penn State. Haven't got any money on that yet. But it's the way that I'm looking. And I might, like Stuck said, if we can get a nine, set our alarms, we can get a nine. Uh, I'll definitely take it under there. My prediction, though, is going to be Wisconsin and Michigan in the Big Ten Championship. Um, and I think it's going to be exciting. I do love Minnesota. And I do love Nebraska. Next year is Nebraska's year, not this year. There you have it. And again, we're gonna. I'm going to get back to Maine. And insert clip of the Maine guy yelling Maine. F***ing maple-scented pieces of shit. F*** you, Maine.
the Black Bears, they bring back almost everyone. They, they're a top 10 team. Liberty better watch out for the black hole defense. But we hope you enjoyed listening to the Big Ten preview. We'll have much more on the Big Ten, and we'll recap and update our thoughts on the recap episode. Uh, thanks to Ari Wasserman of The Athletic for joining us. Thanks, as always, Colin, for joining me. Uh, and we will catch y'all for the next Power 5 Conference preview later in the week. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Peace out. Peace out.